Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey everybody, it's David Axelrod. Earlier today, Mike Murphy and I recorded an episode of Hacks on Tap post-South Carolina, pre-Super Tuesday. We speculated on the fact that Pete Buttigieg would be leaving the race sometime in the next few days. Turns out that he was getting ready to head back to South Bend to do it on Sunday night. So I just wanted to give you that little update. And now here's the conversation. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. So, hey, man, it's uh, the aftermath of South Carolina. How you doing? I am doing good, and I'm, I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but I have never seen a recovery like this after getting crunched in Iowa and New Hampshire. I was a bear on Biden, but yeah, I know I got to hand it to him. That South Carolina thing is quite impressive. Yeah, got his mojo back, his Joe Mentum back. He did forty-eight percent of the vote. Yeah, sixty plus among African Americans. Far more than you know. People wondered whether that firewall would hold. It's been a long time since I've seen an endorsement of one person make a really big difference in a race. Jim Clyburn's endorsement at the end was uh, impressive. If You, no, you know, the, in these uh, exit polls, when you uh, 61% said uh, Clyburn's endorsement was a factor, 28% the most important factor, and 22% an important factor. And Biden got 61 basically about 61% among those who said it was an important factor. That was a big deal, that endorsement, the Wednesday before the Saturday of the the caucuses. And I'll tell you something, his super PAC, Biden has no money. He has a super PAC that has raised some money. The super PAC used their money to take that Clyburn endorsement and do sort of a heavy radio buy and a a mail piece with uh, Clyburn's endorsement. Probably a really... Well, a better return on an investment than, say, Tom Steyer got in South Carolina. <laughs> By a mile. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, the exit polls are interesting because not only did Biden totally clean up with the African-American vote, he was competitive with the white vote, too. He basically tied Bernie there, maybe a point ahead. You know, we have to wait for the precinct analysis to really know. But Biden, Biden played all four corners of the place. And the result was, you know, he literally got, there was a Joe Biden vote for everybody else combined. You know, he landed at about half in a multi-week field where a lot of people spent millions of dollars more. And I remember back when the super PAC for Biden was announced to alleviate his cash trouble, you know, there was a lot of criticism from people like Elizabeth Warren, who now has a dark money super PAC. She's had an evolution in thinking. But um, it proved to be the lifesaver because it could amplify that Clyburn thing. And I'm where you are. It is very rare that you see endorsements work uh, in presidential politics, Ted Kennedy for Obama, this one, but it's rare. And all the kind of urban legend about Clyburn's political power in South Carolina is no joke. It's real. And he proved it 
in this Saturday contest. He really did. Um, the, you know, one of the things that Biden's going to have to face going forward is there aren't Jim Clyburns in every state. He is grabbing a lot of endorsements, but very few are going to have the efficacy of that one. Yeah. The other element of this is, you know, Bernie Sanders, you can't deny him either the front runner status that he has now or the power of what he's put together and the movement nature of his campaign. But, you know, you look at these numbers, he last time he got 14%, I think, of the black vote against Hillary Clinton in uh, South Carolina. He got 17%, virtually no change in this election. There continues to be, as you point out, Biden uh, fought him even among working class whites, which is a Sanders base. Sanders did do well among young voters, but Biden held his own primarily because of, uh, I imagine if you separated out young African-American voters. He yeah, race. Yeah. But there are chinks in Bernie's armor. You know, I think Nevada masked some of them because of the weird nature of the Nevada caucuses. But I would not be sanguine about these results as a kind of aberration if I were the Sanders folks. Let's talk about some of the other players here. We mentioned Steyer. He dropped out. It was the right thing to do. He spent $22 million in South Carolina and finished out of the money at 11% yesterday, and it was time for him to go. It's probably time for a number of these other folks to go as well, don't you think? I would think. So what do you, what do you think is going on in their headquarters right now? Well, with a big dose of humility, I would say – I think the run Biden is going to get now is going to be real because it's going to be 24-7 Biden publicity. There is a narrative. So the race may go back to the future a little bit where momentum from winning becomes super important like it sort of used to be. That was kind of put on hold this year. In the Mayor Pete world, they're having some tough conversations now because emotionally every campaign, as you know, wants to continue. They've raised some money. Uh, They're not totally broke, though it's a strain now. But if they're about not having a Bernie Sanders-style nominee, and that's the argument Pete has made again and again on the campaign trail, they kind of have to put their money where their mouth is, and it's time to get out. So I'll bet there's some pretty passionate discussions there. It's the Bloomberg camp, and Amy, I don't think, counts. Elizabeth is telegraphing kind of a convention strategy. Although they can, they they count in this regard. We go to 14 states on uh, on uh, on Tuesday, and, uh, and Minnesota. Minnesota and Massachusetts – it's probably, if you're Biden, uh, this was raised last night over at CNN. If you're Biden, you probably want you want them to go one more round because Amy's not going to take much from Biden anywhere, but she could keep Bernie from getting significant delegates in Minnesota or more delegates than he would. Same with Elizabeth. She's not going to win her home state of Massachusetts, but she'll probably take some delegates away from Bernie. And right now, if you're not for Bernie, the game is to hold his number down. So they could be serving a purpose for the Biden folks. Yeah, no, I agree. That is totally possible. But it's hard to know because the lanes are a little elastic. And Biden is kind of the champion, not Bernie right now. And I think that'll that'll grow. It's a pretty clear narrative. I think the last question about other headquarters would be Bloomberg land. Because yeah. the rationale was the Biden collapse to stop Bernie. The Biden collapse is gone now. So it's pretty tough. I saw Shiki put out an argument, oh, if you take our polling and we get out, we actually help Bernie more than we hurt him. The problem with that is any polling based- It's not their polling, it's their analytics. And, you know, we, we all were treated to those last night. The problem is they were all based on polling data that was done before last night, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I knew you were going to say it. I just wanted to make the point before you did. <laughs> any poll taken, 
you know, two days ago of California or anywhere else is is not instructive now because we're under a titanic shift. And so my guess is Joe's going to play well in states where there's a significant African-American population. But if the white numbers in South Carolina are harbinger, he, he's gonna, he can do some business other places if he can get less people on the ballot who are kind of anti-Bernie's. And that, that's his problem today politically. You know, a half dozen of the prim- of the 14 primaries, uh, 15 if you count American Samoa, on Tuesday are in southern states where uh, he could have the same or some of the advantages he had in South Carolina. Some of them are not out west right. in California in the in the northeast. Uh, so uh, we'll see about that. We'll get back to that in a second. Here's my feeling. I, just reading the body language from uh, Buttigieg on the Sunday shows this morning, the way he treated Biden and very lavishly, by the way, and talking about the nature, the convincing nature of his victory. It sounds to me like he was convinced. <laughs> I think and, so. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether it'll come before or after Tuesday, but listen, the old McKinsey guy knows how to read a spreadsheet. And uh, this is not an investment that has much life in it. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that uh, at this point, I think he and, and he, to the extent he plays a role, it would be to hobble uh, Biden in a fight with Bernie. He's been the toughest on Bernie. Uh, so I would expect that he would go, I would think after uh, Amy Klobuchar finished sixth in uh, South Carolina, I would expect that after she secures her home state that she may leave this race on Wednesday. You know, the thing about Warren, and I'll get back to Bloomberg in a second, the thing about Warren is all everybody's strength is their weakness. And her strength is her relentlessness. You know, when McConnell said, and yet she persists, she's persisted all her life, and it's the reason she is where she is. And, you know, she has slightly more encouraging polling numbers uh, around the country. I think she would like to stay, whether she hangs around another round after Tuesday, whether she can. I don't know. They had to borrow, and they created the super PAC, as you mentioned, after chastising Buttigieg for having the support of that vote vets and they had to borrow some money. So I don't know if that's a a long-term proposition. Bloomberg, my feeling is it's all about margin on Tuesday. If Bloomberg draws even or ahead of Biden or even close to Biden, I think it's a harder decision. If Biden is well ahead of Bloomberg and close to Bernie, or by definition, he'll be closer to Bernie, I think Bloomberg the, the def, as you say, the definition of his candidacy almost requires that he get out and maybe devote the resources that he has pledged to his own organization to efforts on behalf of Biden in the rest of this race. But all of this, Mike, it all rests on, on Biden. And he had a great night, and I don't think just in the election, but he had a great night in front of the American people. He probably gave the best speech I've ever heard him give last night. I don't know what you thought about it. I thought it was very strong. You know, nothing works like winning, and it it worked with him. He had a real restart. And and just to echo quickly what you said about Pete, he is a young guy with a lot of talent. So today is not one of the last days of the campaign that will not secure the nomination. It's one of the first days of the rest of his career. And the quicker I think he gets out, the more chips he will bank as somebody who put the country and a centrist Democrat who can win against Bernie Sanders ahead of his own ambition. It's emotionally impossible. If I were him, I would have got out last night in front of everything for maximum impact. But in a candidate bubble, you never move that fast. You got to kind of adjust to the reality. 
because you've been out killing every day. They, they don't want to quit. Listen, man, yeah. you know how it is. You, it's not just the emotional thing. You've got, you've got a roaring freight train going into that Super Tuesday. And, you know, it's hard to stop the train. You know, it's not you can't just screech to a halt without creating a lot of chaos and ill will. So I, my guess is they're trying to figure out how to break the train as quickly as they can break it and, and deal with that. But just getting back to Biden, the reason his speech was so good wasn't just that he's been waiting 30 years to give a primary victory speech in a presidential <laughs> race. It was also that it went to his comparative advantages. And you and I have talked about this a lot. There are, there are certain things that Joe Biden has weaknesses as a candidate. We've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. There are certain comparative advantages that only he has in the abundance he has them. The ability to project humanity, decency, and empathy, and to wrap that into a vision for what we want for our country and what we want out of our leader. At a time when Donald Trump displays none of those qualities, that is Biden's greatest strength. And that was the core of his speech last night. I don't understand why it isn't the core of his campaign. And the big test for him, there are two tests, it seems to me. One is, can he, does he have the discipline and ability to continue to make that the core of his message as he moves forward? Or does he get sucked into, you know, mind-blowing, ex, uh, you know, explications on the initiatives he launched in 1986? Yeah. Yeah. Or a rider he passed in the Senate. Yeah. Because, you know, the thing is, what Bernie Sanders is doing is speaking in big moral terms. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about the country. He talks about these challenges. He uh, obviously he talks about them from a very edgy populist way, in a very edgy populist way. There are a lot of idealistic young kids who are following him because they want to do something about climate change. They want to do something about inequality. They want to do something about these nagging challenges that they see getting worse while the system doesn't respond. And that is energizing for them. I think Biden has to speak to those kids, by the way, and assure them that their voices are heard. But the second thing is, you know, you can't be talking in sort of pedestrian kind of, uh, you know, this is the bill I sponsored in 1993 terms when the other guy is on a high moral plane. No, it's a losing game. And Biden always wants to be a Senate majority leader. And he's always running for that. It reminds me of Bob Dole. But last night, hopefully they learned a lesson. And I agree with you on this, and we've been talking about it through the race, and I've had low confidence he can do it, but he sure did it last night. And as somebody who doesn't want to see Bernie, I hope he does it again. I sent him 500 bucks this morning, so it, he's now my horse. And you don't and part with those I, dollars easily, I understand that. So. Especially not to a damn liberal Democrat. So this, I'm, I have a migraine from the experience, but I don't <laughs> want socialism. So, but Biden's strength. The headline that Biden wants out of Hacks on Tap is you calling him a liberal yeah, no, Democrat. No, exactly. Because He's, listen, that, Bernie people, make Republicans really mad. Vote Biden. But it, the contrast, to get back to that, the strategic <laughs> advantage, the brand, the everything for Joe Biden is he is the empathy and the American decency that Trump has long since abandoned. Yeah. And that's the edge. It's not that he's a winner. Yeah. Though now he starts to look like a winner, which will help. And it's not that he's been in the Senate seven centuries, and it's not that he sponsored something in 1982. It is that he gets it and Trump doesn't. He's the remedy for the Trump disease. And he got that last night, and they ought to bottle that and pound it home. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I said I talked about his recitation of bills he sponsored, but 
really the core of their message has been very tactical, and that message has been, I can beat Trump. And they've spent too much time on that, that he can beat right, Trump right, and exactly. not enough what time ought on to be. why he should. Now, I have a question for you, because I'll bet you're getting this question in a lot. If there's ever a time for Barack Obama to weigh in on this race, we're in the 24-hour period where that ought to happen. Yeah. I, I First of all, I haven't talked to him. So this is I'm working off of my last conversations with him. And his view has been he wants the process to play and people to make their judgments, didn't want to put his thumb on the scale so that he could be in a position at the end of the process to help pull the party together. I don't know whether his thinking has changed on that. That is where he has been. And, um, you know, there is there is a logic to that. Yeah, there is. There is. Whether at some point along the way he uh, he changes his mind. I mean, you know, people have said to me, he, well, Joe Biden was his vice president uh, and they have a special relationship. And if it comes down to two, you know, and all of that, I don't know. Mike, I don't know what's in his mind. I don't purport to speak for him. I assume that that would make a big difference, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it it would all speak for him because I often do. Uh, my guess is he's getting a lot of telegrams. <laughs> he asked me to tell you he appreciates that, too. Yeah, I'll bet he does. Uh, Dear Thumb, I'm dying here. Help for the country. Sign scale. <laughs> and my guess is if those drums are ever beating, they're right now. And there, there's almost a problem because... I get the kind of King Solomon neutral pull the party together thing, and that's a legit way to look at it. And that's how, frankly, other presidents have looked at it, including uh, um, President Reagan when Bush and Dole were fighting it out. But there is an argument now that the absence of at least a smiling grunt at uh, Biden at this critical moment for the future of the Democratic Party, an absence of something almost becomes a message. So it's a it's a tricky situation for him, and I frankly think he is the only superpower in the Democratic Party who could talk to a Bloomberg and a Pete and bring order to this thing quickly to really help Biden at a moment where we're going to find out what a Democrat is by who's nominated. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't, I honestly don't know that that he needs to talk to Bloomberg and Pete. I mean, I, I, I you know, like I said, just reading the body language of a Buttigieg this yeah, morning, I, I think I agree on that. Uh, I think he's there. Bloomberg May, I think Bloomberg, you know, having invested several hundred million dollars in Super Tuesday, my guess is he's going to want to see it. Uh, he's going to want to see it through. Let's move ahead to Super Tuesday real quick. There are 14 races. There were some polls out this morning in California. CBS had a poll out where Sanders was at 31, Biden was at 19, Warren at 18, and Bloomberg was at 12. So if that was where it was before, you would expect that the trend line would continue. Now, there's this early vote question in California. They've been voting since February 3rd. Yeah, most of that comes in late, but late means four days ago. You know, so well over half the vote is probably. No, but you know what was interesting is I I said last night and somebody disagreed with me. And then there was a piece this morning that kind of confirmed my instinct. There is a unusually large number of people who haven't returned their ballots who normally do. Right. Uh, by this time, I think the number was 61 percent of the people who generally vote by mail and only 46 percent have returned it, uh, returned the ballot by now, which tells me they're waiting like a lot of people are waiting to see who the actual contestants are. I think that could push Biden up and Bloomberg down in California. And this is important because there has been some speculation that Bernie Sanders would be the only candidate who made viability. That is to say the 15% that you need to qualify for delegates. And he'd, you know, he'd get the whole mother load 
of delegates, they, they would not be divided among anyone but him. This poll suggests that's not the case. And my guess is that the 18% that Warren is getting comes mostly out of potential Bernie supporters, if that's the case. Now, other polls have, have, have had her at a lower level. In California, you have uh, 415 delegates. In, uh, in Texas, there'll be 228 uh, up for stake, another big prize. There are a number of polls out there this morning. We'll all have Sanders around 30, and Biden has uh, bounced around between, in, in one he was at 26, the CBS poll right behind Bernie, another he was 19, both of them they were 19. Bloomberg was at in 13, 15, and 21 in these polls, but definitely trailing in one poll. In the Dallas Herald, he wasn't, but you know, it looks to me like if Biden has a spurt here that he could do pretty well in Texas. Yeah, that's my instinct, too. California, I have a lot of experience with that absentee vote, and people do hold their ballots, and I think they're doing it even more so now because the South Carolina extravaganza was well publicized. So I would be stunned if Biden doesn't hit viability in California. I think he's actually going to do pretty well. I think there's a massive swing going on right now. The only problem is, again, I bet close to half of the vote is already cast. And he'll do better on the vote starting today than he will on what was banked beforehand. But I I think it'll be enough for viability. And I wouldn't be surprised if Biden can perform because, as you say, there aren't a lot of Jim Clyburns. But that narrative is out there and it's loud and it's saturation on television. I think we're back to the old model of earned media more important than paid. So I think Bloomberg is going to collapse down and I think Biden's going to surge up. And in those states, you know, east of Texas, where you start seeing a decent number of African-American voters, uh, I think Biden's going to do pretty well. So I wouldn't be surprised if de- net delegate-wise, he keeps Bernie to a 80 to 140 delegate lead on Super Tuesday, which means it's definitely opened up. If it does that very competitive situation, the scenario in which Bernie opens up a three or 400 delegate lead no. uh, is a scenario in which Bernie becomes the nominee. One interesting thing about primary night on Tuesday is that uh, Biden's going to do uh, particularly well among most of the early reporting states. I mean, Massachusetts and Vermont, maybe not, but in uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, you know, he should do in Virginia. I mean, they'll they'll split them there, but he should do pretty well there. Now, Terry McAuliffe, my CNN buddy, former governor, uh, announced on uh, uh, on the show last night that he was endorsing Biden. He's having an event for him. He had an event for him on Sunday. We're pretending it. I think this conversation will be shared on Monday. We're, we're talking on Sunday. Uh, but a lot of a lot of Bernie's strength is out west. Yep. Uh, in states, uh, you know, Colorado, Utah, and obviously in California. But Alabama, by the way, is another state that uh, we're early state for Biden that should port well. So it could be that, uh, you know, Biden looks stronger earlier in the evening and Bernie looks better later in the evening. And in California, later in the evening could also mean two weeks from now uh, because of the way they count ballots out there, absentee ballots. So as you're watching, you should be aware of of this, that uh, this whole thing, the way it gets reported could be a little more bullish for Biden in the early part of the evening, a little more bullish for Bernie in the later part of the evening. Where it's all headed is is interesting, though. I mean, let's say everything falls as you say, as it as it occasionally does. <laughs> um, I heard that, <laughs> and uh, 
And uh, well, you're the one who you you said you were long, you were short on uh, you were short. I was, but I was after so. getting wiped out in the first two and a distant third. I'm, yeah, I think I may have been there with I, you. We were kind of we both thought Warren yeah. would do really well. So, but we are where we are now. The question is, will the it will Super Tuesday be a knockout? And I think the answer is is no. But Bernie will do powerfully. And uh, then we're on to the rest of it. So it's going to get interesting in the industrial Midwest and other places. Well, so the question is, when, when they stand on a stage on March 15th, will there be, how many podiums will be left, I think is the question. And it could just be two. Uh, it could be three. It could be four. Yeah. But more, you know, I, I think that it may be, it may be two. I think it'll be three because there's always one kook who doesn't get the message, but it ought to be two. And maybe it will be. I'd bet on three, just on human nature, not on logic. Yeah. So I still think that if you look down the line, that Bernie Sanders is the likely delegate leader at the end of this. You know, that portends a really problematic convention. Mm -hmm. You know, usually, you know, they're already beginning to plan the convention. And usually you plan the convention with a mind toward one thing, which is burnishing the nominee's message, biography, delivering unifying messages, reaching out to the country. They're not really built anymore for the, you know, we haven't had a contested democratic convention since 1952. This is really problematical. I, I was wondering today whether Perez ought, ought, ought to just cancel a thing on coronavirus grounds today. <laughs> Would not be a bad move. And have it say, every, we just have to turn it into a Skype thing, the convention where everybody Skypes in. We, I think the party within the realm of what is possible is going to have to decide, is this a convention or is it essentially a super primary where whoever had the most in a plurality deserves to be the nominee? Historically, a convention is about picking what is in the interest of the party, and it is a place where democracy breaks out at its peril. So I'm old school, and I hope even if Bernie has a plurality lead, if he's under a majority, they try to take it away from him. But that is my hard-headed view on what conventions ought to do, you know, and that'll be hard. This is why we can leave it here until after Tuesday. I think we're talking again on Thursday morning. We're coming back with a special post-Super uh, Tuesday episode later this week. What really matters is where all these numbers are and how close to 1991 does anyone come? Does Bernie Sanders in particular come? If he is 15, 16, 1700 delegates, you know, the, the higher he goes, the harder it becomes to depose him and if the gap especially if the gap is very large between him and whoever is in second so what happens tuesday is really important a third of the delegates mm -hmm. on the ballot if he opens up a huge lead that lead could lead to the nomination if it is a tight lead of the sort you suggested earlier on uh, after tuesday i think biden is in the game and uh, we're probably headed to a convention battle and you know i guess the Another potential outcome would be that uh, the delegates supporting everyone else coalesce behind Biden. Last point on this, I was going to dismiss us. But if I were Biden and the Biden forces, what I would want is to be able to secure the nomination on the second ballot when people are freed from their commitments Without the use of super delegates, yeah, much in cleaner. other words, win with pledged yeah. delegates. Yeah. yeah, otherwise you're debating an inside rig. It's delegitimized. The Bernie people have a bloody shirt. It's a nightmare. So I, I agree with that. And we're see if Super Tuesday 
the magic number, and, and your point earlier is well taken, Bernie's going to have some late good surprises out of California as that mail vote is counted. But if, if it's a situation where it's a, the, you know, we're looking at 100 to 150 uh, total Bernie lead, maybe even a little more than that, I think Biden is in the hunt. If it's 250, then, uh, then Bernie's going to be hard to catch. Yeah, and, and- but more for us to talk about. Yeah, there will be. There will be. Um, and uh, should be a late and a fascinating night on Tuesday. So uh, we'll, keep, uh, we'll be uh, texting, I'm sure, and talking again very, very soon. I'm off to California to cast my Democratic ballot. I'll take a shower afterward. <laughs> Talk to you later this week. Later this week, right after Super Tuesday. We'll be back. Later this week. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.